verse 62. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, that would be Saturday, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, While he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, after the tomb, therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be the worst than the first. Pilate said to him, You have a guard of soldiers, go make it secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now, a quick prayer. Father, may you open up the words to us by your Spirit. Help us to see the truth of our Christ, of your glory. May you be exalted and we be changed and the preaching of your word. It's for Jesus' sake we ask. Amen. So if you were here on Good Friday, we had a Good Friday service. And you remember we had three points that we looked at that we referenced when it came to the cross of Christ. And of course, if there's no cross, there's no resurrection. So we spent time Friday looking at the cross. And Galatians 3 was where we looked and Paul was really clear about three things. In Galatians 3, and I think it's very significant and important that we just rehash those real fast uh, for the understanding of what we are celebrating today. Here's the three things Paul wanted us to know in Galatians 3 concerning the cross of Christ and concerning ourselves. Number one, no one is capable of earning God's blessing no one is capable of earning God's blessing by keeping and doing all the things that He has written in the law. It's actually the very opposite. We cannot earn God's blessing by keeping and doing the law, but in even trying to attempt to keep and do all of God's law apart from the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit, we earn and deserve not a blessing but a curse, the curse of God. All people, Paul was very clear, all people have earned to be under the curse because all people are unable to keep and do all things God has commanded. It's a very dim and dreary uh, truth. Paul said it like this, Cursed be everyone, who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Paul was actually just quoting the Old Testament, Deuteronomy. So number one is we deserve the curse. And the second thing we looked at is Jesus deserves God's blessing. Jesus of Nazareth, of Nazareth the Christ, is the only person to ever walk on earth Keep and do all things that have been written in God's law. All things. And so in doing that, he has earned and deserves God's blessing. However, the blessing he did not receive. 
You see, Paul wanted us to know in Galatians 3, this very weighty uh, phrase, but Christ became a curse. And this was the third thing that we saw in that passage, is He, Jesus, became a curse which He did not deserve. He had earned God's favor. He had earned, it was hard-earned favor. Yet He became a curse so that you and I might receive God's blessing. That which we have come nowhere close to deserving. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Uh, Paul says it in 2 Corinthians a different way, which I think is so, is so beautiful, yet so heart-wrenching, and yet also so joyful all at the same time. In 2 Corinthians, he says it this way. Hear, this, hear these words. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's implying that you do know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you don't know, he then describes it. That though he was rich, he became poor. Oh, I'm sorry, I misquoted it. Yet for your sake, he became poor. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And so church, I've got to ask you this morning, do you believe that? And I don't mean do you believe it, like agree with it as today is a cloudy day and you agree with it and so you continue on with your life. I mean, do you believe it that you are actually rich before God? Now, I can honestly say I am not rich financially. But being rich before God is something completely different. Can you say that you are rich before the creator of the universe? Can you say that the only way that you are rich before the creator of the universe is that you know to the core that Christ became poor because of your sin? That he emptied himself, he humbled himself, he died a spiritual poverty, in spiritual poverty, so that you might be rich before God. Do you believe that that's more than just a fact, but that it's a personal fact? And how did all that shake out, right? How did, how did Jesus becoming a curse, how did Jesus becoming poor, how did that shake out? What did that look like? Well... It wasn't so good, right, on Friday for him. He wound up on the cross, crucified, bearing your sin. That's what it meant for him to be poor, to take on poverty, to be cursed. He was forsaken by God, his Father, because you and I have forsaken God the Father. He took on death the wrath of God so that we might live. And he died. He died. Now, if you're on social media this week, I, this is not in my notes, so I might get kind of weird or off here. If you're on social media today 
and you see the post about uh, the crucial, the, the, the horrible death that Christ died. It was so horrible. The cross of Christ, the, to be crucified is the worst form of execution imaginable. But Peter was crucified. So the death of Christ isn't just something he went through physically. But he took on eternal wrath from the Father as he hung on the cross. And as the wrath of God poured out upon him, the earth quaked and the sky grew black. And creation moaned because its creator was passing away. It was more than just a physical death. But let me ask you this riddle. What happens when you execute a perfectly innocent man? And I don't mean innocent as in he didn't commit the crime you have accused him of. I mean innocent of any crime or any sin ever. No type of innocence that you and I could ever know or understand. And so the, the answer to that riddle is simple. But perhaps beyond our natural mind's comprehension, he came back alive. If you execute a perfectly innocent man, he comes back alive. And that's why we're here today. Now, the simplicity of that, the simplicity of the empty tomb is so beautiful. But don't let that simplicity make today mundane for you. Yes, the tomb is empty. I'll continue on in my day. While it is simple to declare the tomb is empty, to state that he is risen from the dead is massively deep and rich. To say that he died, yet now he lives, is a statement that holds eternal riches that we cannot even reach the bottom of. And that's why we're here today. Because he was dead, and now he's risen. Jesus Jesus is alive today. The God-man is enthroned in the heavens a risen man, the God-man. He was cursed for us, proved himself to be the true Son of God, the Christ, the resurrection, and the life. So I've got a few things I want us to think about this morning. Number one, I want us to have there's a, an observation or two from uh, what we read in Matthew. And then I want to follow that up with showing us the divine blessing that you can receive or have received through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And then the last thing I want us to do is just a moment of self-examination. So let's look back at Matthew 27 and some just some general observations. And this kind of actually isn't just looking at Matthew, but kind of as you read the resurrection account throughout all the Gospels, you start to pick up on some things. Uh, And the first thing I want us to understand 
which is obvious, but it's worth mentioning, is that the resurrection would not, nor could not, be stopped. It was happening. Uh, You know, we've got, I see some athletes. um, When you're in a competitive mode, when you're playing a game, a sport, or even in, in warfare, it's good practice to conceal your game plan. To not show all your cards, right? Uh, because that's the way to succeed against the enemy. Is to not let them know what you are doing. So I find it interesting in Matthew 27, as Matthew is letting us know the, what's going on in the minds of the Pharisees, those who have arrested Jesus, they have... Um, put on him accusations that were not true. They had turned him over to Pilate in order that he might be killed. Right? So they go to Pilate before, or I'm, so, I'm sorry, after the crucifixion. And it seems as if they already know Jesus' game plan. Look at verse 63. The Pharisees say to Pilate, Sir, we remember how the imposter said, While he was still alive, after three days, I will rise. Jesus hadn't hidden the fact that he was going to die. He also had not hidden the fact that he was going to rise from the dead. If you remember uh, the, the Sunday before Palm Sunday, we looked at Matthew when Jesus began to teach his his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem to be arrested, killed, suffer, but then raise on the third day. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a secret. Jesus had been saying it. And we know he, even in the Gospel of John, he'd been saying it from the beginning. Jesus was tipping his hand to the Jews. I'll read this to you. We don't have to turn there. And Jesus, in John 2, says, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews, they respond, Three days? Really? It took 46 years to build this temple. But the passage helps us uh, understand that he was speaking about the temple of his body. And when, therefore, he he was raised from the dead, the Bible says in John 2 that his disciples remembered that he had said this. They believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. Well, at some point, the Pharisees had eventually caught on as well. That he was talking about himself. So Pilate, he said he's got this thing he's going to do. He's, you know, he's going to raise from the dead on the third day. You got to help us out so that his disciples don't go and steal the body. And then tell everyone he had been raised from the dead. And then making him what? Something that he isn't. Right? They call him an imposter. A fraud. I was reading that last night to the kids and Evie says, what's a frog? No, it's a fraud. Fraud. So they asked Pilate, let us go beef up security around this tomb so that people don't think that he is the Messiah, right? Pilate agrees. He gives them the soldiers. Take the soldiers, go and seal up the tomb and wait and we'll wait it out, see what happens. Now, If you're familiar at all with Scripture, 
you know that a platoon of soldiers ain't no problem for God. We've seen him handle legions. We've seen him handle nations. And we also know that a big old stone isn't a problem to God either. Think about all of the things that he has done in redemptive history to nature. Parting seas, stopping rivers, walking on water. Stone is not a problem. But what's beautiful about the resurrection, even though God could handle the soldier, he could move the stone, he didn't have to do either. And if you really look at the resurrection account, you begin to think, huh, something happened while the soldiers were there, while the stone was sealed. If you read it, and you see Mary Magdalene come up, when she gets to the the tomb, the soldiers are still awake and present. The tomb is still sealed. And then what happens? Matthew says an angel appears and rolls the stone away from and opens the tomb. And if you're just thinking about how you would write the story, Mary Magdalene would show up, the angel would come, and in this you know, this miraculous scene, and in that, the, the, then, once the angel shows up, the soldiers, they, they, it's as if they passed out. And what does the angel do? He rolls away the tomb. And if we were writing this story, what would we make the next line to be? And then Christ comes out from the tomb, right? But that's not what happens. Look, look at, uh, let's see, let's look at, Verse 2. So Mary Magdalene shows up with the other Mary. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, as we said, and came and he rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. We're talking about the angel. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus whom was crucified. He's not here. He doesn't walk out. He he had already risen from the dead while the guards were posted and the tomb was sealed. He was gone. And you think, how do you do that? It's the power of the resurrected Jesus. That's the power of God. We saw in John 20, you think, how, how did he get out if the tomb was sealed? Like, how did, he, how did he get out? Well, in John 20, the disciples, in fear of the Jews, locked themselves in a room, closed the door, shut it up. They're like, they're, they're hunkering down. And all of a sudden, in that locked room, what happens? Jesus appears. This is the glorified, resurrected Jesus. The power of the resurrection would not be stopped or manipulated by earthly measures and schemes to try to keep him from raising from the dead. It's as if he said, 
Nice try. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. But the Pharisees weren't the only ones attempting to squander Jesus' plan of resurrection. Satan and his number one weapon, death, were hard at work. If you pay close attention to the angel's words to Mary in verse uh, 5, if you look carefully, you kind of pick up on something that's not so evident. The angel spoke to Mary and said, I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Now, what did he mean by that? He, he was saying, you're seeking someone who has died. If you are crucified, you're dead. And the Romans made sure of it. You are seeking him who was crucified. You're looking for the guy who died Friday afternoon. The point is, Mary was looking for a cold, dead, lifeless body, one that had been conquered by death, like everyone that had come before Jesus. Everyone who had come before Christ had been conquered by death. And everyone after will succumb to death. You come and look for the one who has been crucified. Let me back up a second. No one ever has been able to overcome the power of death within their own power. And why? Why? Because there's been no one who's ever walked on this earth without sin. And when one sins, that's it. Death. Death has a grip on you and will not let you go. Paul tells, Rome, Paul tells the Romans, sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all sinned, except for one. And so just as the schemes of the Pharisees failed to keep Jesus in the grave, so did the schemes of Satan and death. Because the angel then said, do not be afraid. I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Verse 6, look at it. He is not here, for he has risen. And Luke, the angel, says something else to Mary in such a beautiful way. Words with so much force and power. Just meditate on them this week, please. Why do you seek the living among the dead? How fitting of a statement, because not only was Jesus the living among the dead after his resurrection, but I argue that Jesus was also living among the dead as he lived his life. Now, how can you say that? Well, wasn't he living among the living? No, no, no. The day you eat of the tree, you shall surely die. The day you eat of the tree, you shall surely die. That was true for Adam and Eve in the garden, and that has been true for every human being that has ever lived, including you and me. Jesus 
was and is the only person who has never eaten of the forbidden fruit, and that is disobedience to God. Jesus is the only one who has not been deceived by Satan. You and I have. Christ has always been, whether living in the 33 years that he lived or even after his death and resurrection, he is the only one who has ever lived among the dead. But isn't that how the Bible describes us before Christ, right? Spiritually dead. Dead in our sins and trespasses. See, we've got it. We've got this. The resurrection of Christ makes no sense to you or, or means nothing to you if you, number one, aren't willing to admit that before God you are spiritually dead. Like, there's no point in resurrection of anyone, of anything, if we're not honest with ourselves that before our Creator we are nothing but dead because of our sins and our trespasses against Him, our Creator, our holy, just God. Dead, cold, stony hearts that, that desperately need to be what? Resurrected. See, resurrection makes no sense if you're not willing to understand that we need ourselves to be resurrected spiritually through the gospel, by the power of the Spirit of God. We'll get more on that in a minute. This morning I want you to know that the redemptive plan, the saving plans and purposes of God are unstoppable. The Pharisees couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't stop him. Pilate's soldiers couldn't stop him. Satan couldn't stop him. Death couldn't stop him. The redemptive plans of God are unstoppable. God is building His church and the gates of hell will not come up against it. Nothing can thwart God's will. And beloved, let me say something to you. If you are in Christ, if you are united to Him in His death and His resurrection, you are a part of that unstoppable plan. You are included in His purposes and the gates of hell will not prevail. And you have conquered death in Christ Jesus. Don't let the schemes of this world, don't let the schemes of Satan scare you into thinking otherwise. Don't let them pull your eyes from Christ. Stop looking horizontally and getting lost in what's before you day after day after day. But fix, if you have been raised with Christ, fix your eyes where He is and where is He? He's in the heavenly places where all of our blessings are in Christ. How does God finish His unstoppable plan for you? What does it look like? Resurrection. That body that which He is resurrected into, He is going to bring us all who are in Christ to. He will resurrect our dead bodies. We will see Him and we will be like Him. And nothing can stop Him from doing it. Which brings us to the, uh, the second thing I want us to say, and we'll go through this quickly. Turn with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, almost all the way towards the back. 
verse one or chapter one, excuse me. First Peter chapter one. So I want us to see in a few verses quickly what are the heavenly blessings. I if we say Christ became a curse so that we might be blessed. So through his resurrection, what are these heavenly blessings that we receive? Look at verse 3. Let me just read 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So first and foremost, first thing I want you to see, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can we acknowledge this this morning? Can we begin today acknowledging that we have a reason to praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about Peter, who's writing this. Think about the persecution, the suffering, the beatings, the torment that he went through, as you read Acts, for being associated with Jesus. He knew, Peter knew, that he would die for the sake of Christ. But yet he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the face of death, in the face of persecution, he can praise God. Now what we want to see as you read through this is that all of these blessings come through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you see the end of verse 3, right before verse 4, he says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the first thing to note in these verses is yes, number one, that all things come through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus is not in the tomb, we are in big trouble. We're still in our sins. Our faith is useless. What I'm doing up here is nonsense. How hopeless and pitiful we would be if Christ was still in the, gra- in the grave. But look, look what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. Let, let us begin by just simply and quickly stating this. Apart from the mercy, the mercy of God, you and I will get what we deserve. That whole curse and blessing thing. Apart from the mercy of God, you and I will get what we have earned. I believe, I mean, I've mentioned this already this morning in some fashion, but it's good for you to hear it again, and it's no trouble for me to say it again, as Paul says. You and I have worked hard to earn our wages, we've worked hard to earn our wages, and we know that Romans tells us that the wages of our hard work. The wages of our sin is death. A physical and eternal death. But the latter is what I want us to focus on. The eternal death is one that separates you from the eternal blessings of God. Like, does that matter to you? Seriously. Being separated for eternity from the blessings of your Creator. 
doesn't matter. And I hope it does. I pray it does. Because if it doesn't, you're just going to keep earning your wages. You're just going to keep working and working and working and piling on what you deserve. Condemnation. Death. We've all fallen short of being what God has created us to be. And I want you to understand this too. God has created you not to be a husband, a father, a this or a that. He's created you to be in His image for the sake of His glory. And it might show as you are a husband or a wife, a father, a mother, a teacher, a banker, a farmer, whatever it may be, your purpose in life is to bear the image of God for His glory. God, I want to reflect to the creation your glory. Yet we have all fallen short of doing that. We've corrupted the image with our disobedience and with our sin, and twice death is what we deserve, physical and eternal. But this is the mercy, that, and I, I'm, I'm taking too long on this point. By faith in the gospel of Christ, through the cross and His resurrection, we don't receive what we deserve. If, if you're raising a child and they... And they, they disobey. You, you come to them and you say, in your disobedience, you deserve the consequence of what you have done. There might be time, and we won't get into the whole thing of parenting here, but in your love, you, might, you will discipline them. But on some occasions, in your love, you will withhold the discipline. And not give them what they deserve. And what you are doing is giving them, showing them mercy. And if you are a Christian today, that's what God has done to you. He's saying, you have been a bad boy, a bad girl. And you deserve an eternal consequence. But by the blood of Christ, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. But yet, I'm going to give you life. I'm going to bless you. And this only comes through faith in the gospel, the cross, and resurrection of Christ. And boy, is that praiseworthy. Right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm, i got to move on. So I'm just going to look here and we're going to stay focused. The next thing we see is that in His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. To be born again. He's caused us to be born again in His mercy. What does that mean? It just simply means that you were dead like He was physically dead. You are spiritually dead. And by His mercy, He has come to you and and raised you from the dead. He has turned you from a sinner to a saint. He has taken that cold, stony, dead heart and has given you a heart of flesh, a heart that beats, a heart that loves Him. That is what it means to be born again. And we're born again, the next thing, to a hope, a living hope. A hope not like, I hope I get all the Easter eggs today or I get the candy I want, I'm not really sure, but a hope that says, in the end, God will complete what He has started in me. 
that He has resurrected me from the spiritual dead, and one day He will resurrect me from the dirt. That is the hope that we have been born again into. That while we might die the first death in Christ, we will never die again. I think I have a verse somewhere that says that. I'm kind of off here. Let me just keep going. Let's just stick to 1 Peter. And through the resurrection of, the, of Jesus Christ from the dead, what have we got? We have eternal security. That hope brings us eternal security. Look, what he, look at the adjectives in verse 4. An inheritance that is imperishable. Imperishable. You, how many of you are perishing away right now? You woke up this morning and you were like, I'm perishing the, the eternal security of our inheritance of what we've been given in Christ never it never fades it never breaks down it's undefiled and look it's kept in heaven for you you talk about you you see those commercials for safes on TV you lock your stuff down that ain't nothing compared to being kept in heaven by what verse 5 the power of God. The power of God that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that keeps His children. He's guarding us. There it again. That's that idea of being secure through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. When He comes and we see Him, we will be resurrected and we'll be made like Him. Alright, so let me finish just by saying this this morning. Go to John 11. I just want to read it. Let's just, John 11. This is our last thing. Our self-examination this morning. John 11. You know the story? Lazarus, Jesus' friend. Well, he's sick, right? He's sick unto death. But Jesus waits. Jesus delays in coming to Lazarus, his friend. And in his delay, Lazarus dies. And as he approaches the, uh, the resting place of Lazarus in Bethany, Jesus meets his sisters, Lazarus' sisters, Martha and Mary. Look at verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Now pay careful attention to what Martha says to Jesus. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then she says, but even now... I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus says this is as if he didn't hear her. And he says to her, your brother will rise again. But Martha said to him, I, I know. I, I, I could be reading this wrong, but I, I feel like that's how she would have said that. I, I know. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But again, Jesus says to her, well... Martha, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever uh, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. 
And he says, do you believe this? So that's the first question I ask. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that he was dead and now alive? But I also want to ask you, and I don't want to be thinking too much into Martha and her comments, but her, yes, Lord, I know. But Lord, if you'd have been here, or even now, you can help now. But Jesus says, no, I want us to think about eternal things. I want us to see past your need now or how Jesus can help you now. Like, that's the wrong approach as we go to church Sunday by Sunday or we occasionally open up our Bible. That Yeah, Jesus, I know that you are who you say you are, but I need your help now because you know life's kind of weird. And this, so we'll talk about eternal things when that happens. But right now, or if you would have done this, Jesus, life would be better now. Now, I'm going a little farther than probably what Martha was thinking, but the reality is, is that we acknowledge and say, yes, Jesus, I know. I know. And, I, and we say that as if it's good enough for entrance into heaven. I know, Jesus, you're the resurrection and the life. But I'm kind of more focused on what I got going on in this world to really live in the eternal, to be focused on that which I can't see. So I, I just want to put before you today that don't just say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I know all that stuff. And just because I know all that stuff, I'm going to live my life ignoring it. You, you might live your life ignoring it and find yourself under the curse of God. Because if you go and read through the accounts of the resurrection, notice the response of the disciples and the people when they see Jesus. They respond in joy and worship. Right? And you think, well, of course, he's, he just rose from the dead. But then read the rest of the Bible and see that that joy and worship never faded. It never went away. It wasn't like we were so excited the day that Jesus resurrected and now we're like, eh, for the rest of our lives. The joy of the resurrection, the resurrection of Christ and the power of the resurrection of Christ in our lives has life-changing implications. And so I don't want you to walk out today and say, yeah, Jesus, you rose from the dead. The tomb's empty. What's for lunch? I don't want you to live the rest of your life just... Acknowledging he died and rose again. But I want you to be as the disciples were, as Mary was, that when she saw him, she grabbed his feet and worshipped. And I want, us, I want that to be our position, our, 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 our hearts, day in and day out. So we're going to sing a couple more. We're going to sing one more song. It's now our time to respond to the Lord, to His Word, to the uh, the crucifixion and resurrection of our Christ. I want to pray.
Father, may your word go forth and bring fruit. May you open the eyes and the ears that we might see the magnificent, beautiful, priceless treasure of Christ Jesus. May he be on the throne of every household represented here today. God, may your mercy pour forth over us that people would look and say, what has happened? Or who are they? Or what has changed? God, may your mercy pour forth over us that Christ would be made known in our homes, at our work, at our, in our community. Because we have seen the resurrected Christ. And not as, not as Thomas saw Him, but as we have seen Him in faith and been blessed by His resurrection. It's for His sake that we pray. Amen. Amen.